this story is familiar to some of us because uh, Joshua, he sent out spies to go into Jericho. I'm going to pick up at, at verse 2 because they, they came to the house of a harlot, Rahab, and they lodged there. In verse 2 it says, it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight for the children of Israel to search out the whole country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. In verse 4, then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came here, but I didn't know where they came from. It happened as the gate was being shut. It was dark. Some of your translations will say at dusk. At dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the Forbes. As soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, in, in biblical times, obviously, some of you are aware of that they would shut the gates at night so no one could come in or out, but the gate was being shut. And what happened at dusk, at dark, the gate began to be shut. What does that have to do with us, Donnie, in 2015 as we begin to get a new year? It's simply a parallel is we're living at the time of the shutting of the gate, I believe. And there are four things in this passage that I want to bring to your attention that applies to us. And out of that, we're going to talk about a heart that we have that God gives us for people that don't know him. So the title of my message is the time of the shutting of the gate. So let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, you got my pants? Like, you may be seated. Thank you, Stan. I feel like, remember that show Andy Griffith when he would always have his pants leg up? I love that show. I really did. Was Barney absolutely amazing? Young people, you don't even know who Barney is. You think he's a purple dinosaur. Barney was the sidekick. He was, I love that show. You know what I really loved on that show, Karen? Floyd. Floyd the barber. Remember Floyd? Hey, he, he hit me real hard. He assaulted me. I like Floyd. All right. The Bible says all this came to pass at the time of the shutting of the gate. Israel was in a time of crisis. Israel had been commanded by God to go in and possess the land. It was a day of advance and challenge for the people of God. It was also a crisis time for the people of Jericho because according to reports they heard, impending doom was stalking them like a prey. Joshua, a type of the world and people of the world and God's people, have set their course for a head-on collision. Joshua was sure of God's will to conquer but he wasn't sure of God's plan, so General Joshua sent out spies. Two men slipped into Jericho, risking their lives in pursuit of the will of God. Jericho was fearful. They were filled with despair. They had heard of the mighty victories of Israel. And Jericho, they didn't know what to do. Israel was camping on the hill, reckoning with the will of God to conquer the land. The Bible tells us it all came to pass at the time of the shutting of the gate. Today we're living in a world that's filled with crisis, a world that's living on the razor edge of despair. Our economists don't know what to do. Our sociologists, our, our politicians are void of answers. Our educators on many of our campuses, especially the high schools that I go and speak at, they're dumbfounded. Our world is rocking and reeling like a drunkard man. It's a crisis time for our world. This morning, the world you're living in, the church you're a part of is living 
like I said, in the time of the shutting of the gate. There are four things in this passage that happen at the time of the shutting of the gate that applies to you and I. The first is found in verse 5. It was dark. Would you believe me when I say it's dark in our world? The Apostle Paul said men are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Doctors, therapists, and cures are failing. Diets, quick-fix workouts are not working. Many people go to anger management and come out enraged. People go into rehab addicted to drugs and come out addicted to rehab. And on many of our college campuses, there's a surge in mental illness. Stress, fear, anxiety have caused a rise in this last year in teen suicide. We're horrified by the horrendous acts of crime that we see daily on television. And just a few months back, most of you didn't even hear of this, but there was an operation. It was entitled Operation Cost Country. 106 cities, 54 FBI divisions, 168 kids were rescued, and 281 pimps were arrested as, as sex trafficking across America in many of our cities uh, is just out of hand, out of control. And I could spend a lot of time with you this morning talking about our mass murders, and we, we can talk about famine in the, in the world. We can talk about nuclear disarmament and who has the nukes and who doesn't, and in Israel, in the Middle East, and on and on. Homelessness. I, I, I look at the gang violence as I go into some of these cities. I was just in Highland Park in Detroit, and, and the poverty, it's, it's just mind-boggling. And so, so many of the schools I go into, the administrators are throwing their hands up in frustration. What can we do? And there's a frustration and unrest and apathy that was in the 60s. Some of you are old enough to remember this, that, that turned to a carelessness, but the apathy of today has turned to a hopelessness. I asked a young girl in the inner city, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, alive. And when many kids in our inner city don't think they'll even reach their 21st birthday, I'm telling you, it's dark. And the good news is the gospel is tailor-made for this hour because the darker the night, the brighter the light. And, and I'm telling you, there is a time in which we're living that it's dark. It's dark. It's dark. There's uncertainty. There's rebellion. There, there's a lot of pain on the earth. There's a lot of pain on the earth today. The second thing that I noticed in this passage is God sent out messengers. The only hope for Rahab, for the remnant of her household with these men. Do you ever wonder why that God didn't just take and write a message and, and put a rock and, and tie it up and, and then throw it through the window? God sent them into her house to touch them. There are many Rahabs. Who are the Rahabs? They're the hungry people that will receive him. Those that will receive the messages. The message that we're giving, the, the message where we touch lives. People often ask me, well, why do you go into the, the public schools? Because one of the things I've learned with the feats of strength is that it's an attention getter. But some of those young, especially junior hires, they, they see you as bigger than life. And they already have enough heroes they can't touch. And so something like doing feats of strength and, and getting in that door and, and using that platform where they can touch you after the assembly. You just walk among them. And they come and they open up and they share their stories. I have a friend in Las Vegas 
and his, his church is just off the strip, and the ghetto really moved to him. And when it did, a lot of people left his church. The church began to be in great financial need. They had a Christian school, and because of the climate in, in enrollment, they had, to, they had to shut it down. And the school just sat empty. And the church is, is financially every month struggling to make it. And my friend was going to resign, and I was talking to him, and I said, you can't. I said, you've got to just change a few things. Look at your audience and realize that your audience has changed, and so your methods have got to change. And so you've got to change your worship. You've you got to look at what you can do to, to reach out in this community. And so one of the guys that was on his staff, wonderful brother, he's like a, a Roger, a, a right-hand man. He went out in the community, and he, he started talking about the school not being there, and there was a connection with a charter public school. And they, they came on campus there, and right away, because they were paying to, to be on campus, the income of the church went up, and they were able to now compensate with the finances. They got a school there. They decided that there was so much need in the area that on Saturdays they started getting the kitchen going there at the school and providing in the cafeteria hot meals for the homeless. They feed every Saturday 200 to 250 homeless people a hot meal. It's an incredible thing. I've gone and I've stood there at the line and greeted them as they come in to get a hot meal and blankets. And then they went and they got together a group of medical doctors that volunteer on Saturday and they opened a medical clinic. They had some space out in back of the church and so they went to Home Depot and they planted a garden. And out of the garden they feed the poor. Well, in that charter school, because you can stand in the gymnasium, walk outside on the front sidewalk and throw a rock and hit the gay bathhouse, the naughty boutique where seven women are in uh, their scantily clad, their dummies, and they're flipping you off. And then, then you go to the, the next and you, and you have the behind the green door, every perversion. And these kids live, many of them, behind these uh, places of darkness in the apartments and they walk to school. 80% of those kids walk to school. There's 350 in the school. So they built favor. It's been in existence five years and after the first year they went to the principal and the principal said, you know, these kids, they, they, they're doing good but we need to get some help uh, to them. And they said, you need to bring Donnie. So I went and I spoke in the school four years ago, and God gave us such favor of those 350 students that I've gone back every year since, and some years twice, and there I met Hilda. Hilda, uh, when I first went there, uh, it was interesting because we sat on the bleachers and she shared her story with me, and I had to go to the, the, the principal and to others and verify this story. It was, it was pretty, pretty intense. She basically, at eight years old, was left in a house by her mother and father. They were both drug addicts. They just picked up and moved and left her the way you would leave a pet. Just left her in the house at eight years old. Child Protective came in. They got her in foster care in the system, and they found out her biological grandmother lived in Las Vegas. So she moved to Las Vegas, was living with her grandmother, and she's going to this charter school. I'm sitting there and talking to her, listening to her story, and just I'm marveling at, at how she's even alive. I mean, just amazing abuse 
beyond measure in her life through the foster care system, and now she's living with grandma, and she gets saved. I'm talking, you're talking, she, she, God just got a hold of her life. And I promised her that her senior year I would come back and I would speak in the school and I'd be there for her graduation. So I came back and the guy standing there got a picture when she first saw me walk in because she didn't know I was coming back. When I walked in the gym, and, and, and I want you to see, this is Hilda. And Hilda is, is seeing me for the first time it's been a year and a half, and she's getting ready to graduate. And, I mean, we just, we met, and we, I'm telling you, we, we just, in the middle of the gym, met and wept. And she graduated, and she's a freshman in college right now. And she um, is getting a degree. She's going to be a social worker, and she's going to work with, with troubled kids. That's her passion. God's just got his hand on Hilda to do this. Also, uh, that day... Um, it was a real special day because I stayed over and preached in the church that I told you about Sunday. And Victoria and her sister Alex came. I met Alex last year at that school. Alex was, she could probably beat up every guy in the school. Um, Alex is on the right. And that's her sister Victoria. They were both abused by a, a father that's an alcoholic. And they had to take him out of the home. And they live uh, fairly far from the school and they get rides to school every day. They're living in a, an apartment complex, I mean, on next to nothing. And they got up at 9 o'clock in the morning and took two buses to get to an 11 o'clock service to hear me. <laughs> and um, when I was at the school, well, Alex, she got saved last year. And um, Alex, I made a statement, whatever your mind conceives, your heart believes you can achieve. She was going to get that tattooed on her back. And I said, Alex, don't, don't do that. She goes, how about my leg? I said, no, don't, don't get it tattooed on your leg. You put it on a piece of paper, memorize it, but don't get it tattooed. Well, at that school assembly on Friday, there was a little guy named Vincent. Vincent has a disease where he hasn't grown. He's, he's 12 years old, and he's about this tall. And at the end of the assembly, he came up, and he was pulling on, on my pants leg. I didn't see him because there's a crowd of students all around. And this girl walks over to me, and she goes, hey, mister, did you see Vincent pulling on your leg? He wanted to talk to you. I said, no. And so I went to the, the, the uh, front office, and I said, could you get Vincent out of class? Because the assembly was over, and they went and they brought Vincent to me. And um, I sat down with Vincent, and he's sitting there, and, and, I, and I said, Vincent, I said, what's going on? And he just looked straight ahead, and I just watched a tear just run down his cheek. He goes, I get teased a lot. And I said, uh, Vincent, I said, what's it like at home? He said, I live with my mom but she's a drug addict, and she's so mean to me. And I said, Vincent, I said, uh, as we, we talked, I, I, I was wiping his tears, and I looked, and the principal was watching me sit with him. We sat there for probably half an hour, and I said, Vincent, can you come to church on Sunday? And so Vincent came to church on Sunday. His mom drove him and dropped him off about a half a mile from the church, and so he walked to church. And so... Um, after uh, church, I want you to see Vincent. This is my buddy. He's got the frying pan that I rolled up in his hand. And um, Vincent, uh, I was trying to get him a ride home from church. And uh, Victoria walked over with Alex. And they said, 
He'll never walk home from school. He'll never walk home from church by himself again. Now, mind you, these two girls took two buses at 9 o'clock. I gave Alex $60, and I said, listen, take Vincent to lunch, and, and you guys take him home. And she was getting ready to leave, and I said, Alex, don't you let anybody tease him anymore at school. And um, she goes, Mr. Donnie, if anybody teases him, she goes, I'll, blink, I'll beat the blanking blank. I said, no, no, Alex, don't. Don't beat anybody up. And you know, sometimes when you look at a crowd you know, of students, I'll be in a school, and there'll be 2,500 students. And, and, and you look at a crowd, that school was in uh, November. We had spoke to 20,000 kids in the month of November. And sometimes you can look at a crowd of 2,500 students, and, and you forget behind every face is a story. And, and one of the things that I realized in going into the public schools of America, crisscrossing America, and speaking to over 7 million students face-to-face, -face, is that after every assembly, after every assembly, they come up and they, they want to talk to you. You know why? Because you touch their lives. And when you touch their lives, you touch them. And I look at this passage in 2 Corinthians, and it says, as, as we're looking at it, that God sent messengers. Well, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, I, later James referred to the spies that were sent out as messengers of God. They went into the world risking their lives because God saw the honest heart of Rahab, so he brought light and darkness together. He brought truth to error. He brought hope to despair. The message must go out. The third thing that I notice in this passage is it all happened quickly. You ever notice that things are just moving so quickly? I know with social media and, and technology, it just adds to it. I mean, some of our children, they, they just sit in front of those video games just all day, one after another, just, just playing. And, and you, you, you can almost lose sense of time in just that alone. And then, and then you go out in, in our world, it, it's just a crazy time. I was standing in line at the airport, and I thought this guy was talking to me, but he had his Bluetooth on. And he just kept talking, and I'm like, is this guy okay? What, what did you say? And finally he just goes, I wanted to just tear his bloop and just take it out and chuck it because he was so loud and obnoxious. And, and, and I'm not being mean, but, but I, at the Coliseum, I got in the elevator, and every reporter was in there, and they were all like this. And our public relations guy, his name is Bob Rose, I said, hey, Bob, I'm working on a new message. It's called Look Up. And all the guys, all the reporters looked up, and they all started laughing. I, I mean... Everything is just going so fast. So it's complicated, and, and people are, are just tired. I mean, you go, we went to get something to eat last night. They didn't bring you a menu. They bring you a book. And the, the, the pressure to order, you, here, I'll take it to my room and read it and come back tomorrow and eat. I mean, it's just the, the pressure of today and life in general, and, and, and things are happening quickly. And, and that's why I believe with God and what God is doing. We got to be in tune. It'd be a tragedy to be alive today 
and not know what God's doing, but a worse tragedy to be alive today and know what God's doing and not be a part of it. I don't know about you, but I just want to be a part of what God's doing, and I don't want God to move and I miss it. I believe that the shutting of the gate, God's going to send forth a great light, a moving of His Spirit. It's going to illuminate it. it it's going to happen, and, and the Bible talks about suddenly. You see over, and suddenly, done quickly, without warning. But the time that, that, that the gate is shutting and, and things are happening quickly, I'm like, God, I, I want to be in tune to you. And, and lastly, because God is using unconventional methods. I mean, in Joshua, God uses a prostitute. She ties a rope in the window. You're talking about unconventional? People say, well, why do you do the feats of strength, Donnie? Because it's, it's got me into schools. It's, it's got me, I mean, I've already had five major league teams contact me to speak at spring training to do a motivational talk. I had the privilege of last year of speaking to the men's national soccer team before they went to the World Cup. I mean, something as silly as the feats of strength. I mean, you had the mental strength for the Dallas Cowboys coach call me and, and, and do an interview over the phone, and I thought, well, it would be cool to speak to, to now the NFL because the Lord has been opening. I, I got to speak to Florida State two years ago and their run for the national championship and watched it at Rogers and Kimberly's house, and this year I... I don't know what go on record, but I did pull for Oregon. I just, that quarterback won my heart. I mean, he loves God and he's Samoan. I mean, what else can you? <laughs> when I saw him win the Heisman Trophy and honor his mama and daddy, I was sold. I mean, it, it so touched me. And to find out he's a believer too is even a greater thing. And what I'm trying to say is God uses, I mean, silly things. You know, at, at the Okanese, uh, the Coliseum, where, where I hold service in the weight room, I speak to the A's, and I speak to the visiting team, and I speak to the umpires. And this year, you're talking about unconventional? You guys, I, I can't tell you, there were seven years where I knocked on the door after I did both teams and asked for chapel. I said, would you, like to do, would you like me to do chapel? And the umpires would just shut the door in my face. And I would just go back and every week, and finally one team, one umpire team let me in. There's five guys on, this, on their team. They travel, and, and they're there usually for the weekend, and that one team let me in, and after that, all the teams. But this year, I got a unique phone call, and it was the umpire's team that was coming in, and they wanted me to do chapel for their entire family. But they brought their wives, and they brought their kids, and they wanted me to do a few feats of strength, and I walk in the umpire room, and I see these families sitting there, these umpires. And usually, I mean, when I do chapel just for the umpires, I've gone in. You haven't preached until you've had the, your Bible open. You're turned to Mark 10, and the umpire's sitting there in his boxer smoking a cigar. I mean, I've preached in some pretty crazy places, some pretty crazy. But here I'm, I'm there, and all their, their teenage daughters are there. And I'm like rolling a frying pan up, and then I'm, you know, ripping a phone book, and they did a talk. And I walked in, I said, God, you're amazing. You just blow me away, the, the way you, you move in people's lives. I mean, unconventional, crazy. My spiritual birthday is November the 11th. Every year I go back to Farley Dormitory at UOP on the campus, and I just thank God for saving me. So on November the 11th, I was in town, and I drove to the university, and I sat in front of Farley Dormitory. I said, God, thank you for saving me. In 1980, November the 11th, I met you, and 
I got out and I was walking around campus a little bit and I came back and not many students were there and there's a guy, he was mowing the lawn and I was watching the gardener mow the lawn and I kind of wanted to get a picture uh, of me in front of Farley Dormitory and I was going to send it to Mark and let him put it on Facebook and just kind of glorify God for my, my salvation of walking with God for all these years and the gardener looked at me, I looked at him and he turned his lawnmower off and he walked over and I said, hey, I said, uh, Will you get a picture of me in front of that dorm right there? He goes, why? I said, well, 30-some years ago, I said, I, I met Jesus in that dorm. And um, he looked at me, he goes, are you Donnie Moore? I said, yeah. He said, you came to my school in 1995. He goes, I was a junior in high school. I smoked a joint that morning. He goes, I went to school, and I was going to get some more drugs, and I said, there's an assembly. He goes, I went into the gymnasium. I sat there. He goes, and I was, at the time, running with some gangs, and there was a rival gang on the other side of the gym. And so I was sitting there kind of hiding, and you made a statement. You said, if you're going to follow the crowd, you better find out where the crowd's going. He goes, that one statement hit me. He said, I went to Lakeview Assembly of God that night. He said, I gave my life to Jesus. He goes, I go to First Baptist Church, Donnie. He said, and uh, I'm taking some classes at Delta. I'm a gardener here on campus. He goes, I've been waiting for a long time to meet you and say thank you. I mean, I'm in tears, and he's in tears. And I got in my, my, my truck, and I was just sitting there. I'm going, God, on my spiritual birthday, a, a man that's in his 30s in 1995 heard an assembly, and I made one statement. He came to the night meeting. He's married. He's got three kids. And he's going to the First Baptist Church and serving you. I mean, something as silly as ripping a phone book and breaking some bricks and a bat and ripping a license plate in half or rolling the frying pan up. It just, it's humbling. It's unconventional. And that's why I say to you, right now, with where you guys are at and what God's doing, I mean, you're, you're looking at new expansions you're looking at new opportunities and in our generation i'm 57 years old sometimes we we're set in our ways but we got to realize that with god you take this this glass and you have the water the water it, it, it's it's the message the container will change that's the method there's all different sorts of methods there's all sorts of different ways to reach people. I mean, you have social media today. When I started getting on Facebook last year, I mean, since I've been with you guys last, we have over 4,000 that are now following us. I'm just thinking, it's so crazy the way people communicate, but use that. Don't, don't look and say, well, God can't do this. I mean, I think of music. I was thinking of a Candace in, in the service. I was talking to her uh, in the, in the back room about how, how you're doing with your music. And I think the creative ways that, that God uses music and he uses drama and he uses the arts and he, he uses strength. He, he uses people's um, abilities to, to get into places. When Brooke came back from YWAM, my oldest, and she said, Dad, I feel like I'm, I'm letting you down because I'm not in full-time ministry. I said, what are you talking about? We're all in full-time ministry. I said, we just have different ways we get our, our paychecks signed. I said, Brooke, your passion has always been makeup. It's always been doing hair. 
So she went to Paul Mitchell Beauty School. She's graduated. She's cutting hair. She's doing makeup. She's never been happier. And I said, Brookie, every day you're laying hands on people. Every day people are opening up and speaking to you and talking to you. I said, that, that's a tool that God has used to open a door. And, and those doors, that, those methods, those techniques, those, those abilities, those gifts. You see, God is like a dictionary. We each get a page. And, and sometimes your experience with God is a key to your ministry. Oral Roberts, he was healed supernaturally by God's power. So his ministry was healing and reaching out, and God used him to heal the sick because that's how he experienced God. That's why we need one another because your experience with God is valid. Your page that you get, you see a side of God that maybe I don't see. I need you because what you have experienced and the way you experienced God is a key to your ministry and how you minister to others. And so when you're looking at Compel and you start looking at campuses, I just recently was in San Jose, and there's a church there, and it's, it's a large church. So I want you to think I preach in the biggest churches in America, and I won't go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. But this church, they run 7,000 on Sunday, three services Sunday morning. But on Saturday night, the, the bottom is, is full, but there's no one in the balcony, but they film the Saturday night service. And the pastor said to me, now, Donnie, when you speak, say this weekend. And also, I have a list. He said, we have nine campuses that will be watching you Sunday. So I preached the message Saturday night that nine other campuses will be seen Sunday. I'm preaching to 7,000 in front of me Sunday, but yet nine other campuses with thousands more. So each Sunday, they're ministering to 15,000 people. Besides going line with their live stream service at 11 that goes out all over the world, and I'm going, huh? Unconventional methods. Don't put God in a box. And I tell this generation of young people, I'm not asking you to do it the way I did it. All I'm asking you is respect what we've done. And, but we need to look at, at, at ways that, that God is reaching people and be open to it. Because when you look at different things that are happening across the country and you say, yeah, that, that'll work here. And maybe it will not work somewhere else. But unless you're open enough to say, God, what unconventional method? What are you doing? I mean, there's a guy in, in, in Lodi. He owns a cigar store. And I was talking to him, and he goes, yeah, on Tuesday we have a Bible study called Holy Smoke. <laughs> now, in, in, my, in my judgmental, uh, holier-than-thou, evangelical subculture, Donnie Moore, I'm thinking, you you got to be crazy. And, and, and a guy goes in there, and he opens his Bible, and all these, and this guy's not, he's not smoking. He's just sitting there teaching these guys as they're sitting there puffing on their cigar. Now, some of us, we, we might have a problem with that. But you see, God uses unconventional methods. God, God is able to do more, and I, I don't mean to beat this, but, but i, I got to wrap it up. But you see, just before the door was shut on Noah's Ark, it filled up. Because we're living in the time of the shedding of the gate. The greatest harvest is before the church. The greatest days of outreach are before us. Look for, believe for. Trust God is up to something. We, we have become so predictable. 
The devil knows what songs we're going to sing and how long they're going to be and when we're going to take the offering and what appeal we're going to use. We need to make the devil wonder, what are we going to do next? What are we up to? It's outside of our box. It's outside of our thinking. It's causing us to be led by God unconventionally. When it was dark and men were going out with a message and things were happening quickly. God's raising up unconventional message. The enemy, he's going to try to stop you. But you guys, you'll never have an impact without a collision. And we learn so much, so much from others. You can learn from anybody. You know, my dad told me when I was little, he said, you know, Donnie, he said, everybody's ignorant. He said, but you don't have to be stupid. I said, what's the difference, Dad? He said, ignorance is when you don't know. He says, stupid is when you don't ask the person that does know. Just a little southern, my dad being from the south. He said, ignorance is when you don't know. He said, stupid is when you don't ask for knowledge from people that do know. So if, if ignorance is not knowing, then not reaching for knowledge. So I want to reach for knowledge. I, I want to grow. I want to learn from you. I, I, I want. And so what can you learn from a nine-year-old? In Marysville, California, as the worship team comes and I close, there, there's this area that's very poor. This area is very, it, it's, it's, they call it there in Northern California, the trailer park trash capital. I, I, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just trying to give you a picture. There are more meth labs in that area of Lyndhurst and, and Marysville than there is in any other location there in Northern California. And there, there's a church called New Life, and the youth pastor is Stevie, and his, his wife, her name is Stacy. I've known them since they were teenagers, and because the church is not that big, he works a full-time job, and they, they love the kids of that community. And they have a daughter, and like Tiffany, their daughter grew up in our camps. And their daughter's name is Macy. And Macy, she, she comes up to me last year at camp, she was nine, and um, she, she's got an envelope. And I know uh, the family, I know the church, I know where she's from, and I know as she hands me this envelope that she wants to give me money for what we're doing. And she says, Mr. Donnie, I want to help you reach more kids. And I felt so, I can't even tell you, I, I, I took the envelope and I was like, oh, Lord. And, and, I, and I laughed. But my laugh was, was a nervous laughter. It wasn't a, a laughter that I was making fun of her. I just, I felt uncomfortable taking it and I, I, I kind of chuckled. And I didn't know it, but it offended her. And I found out afterwards that she was saving money for an iPod. So when I got home, I said, Cindy, I don't care how much it costs. Buy an iPod today. Send it to this, this little girl. So we bought her an iPod, sent it to her. And um, she, she took a picture of her with the iPod, and she wrote me back a letter. And she said, thank you so much for my iPod. For remember, Mr. Donnie, winning souls is no laughing matter. You ever been rebuked by a nine-year-old? See, when I laughed when she gave me the $40, 
it hurt her little heart. And she thought I was laughing at her gift. And um, winning souls is no laughing matter. So she comes to camp this year, and she's got another envelope. She's 10 now. So she walks up to me with her envelope. And I took her envelope, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, Jesus. I put it in my Bible. I didn't want, I didn't want to open it. I want to open it. I thought, I know it's more money, and I'm going to probably end up buying her a car. I, I can't say no to her. I want you to meet Macy. Let's look at Macy. If, if you see her, you'll understand. This is Macy. She's 10 years old. And she gets our newsletter. Every month it's addressed to her, so she takes it in her room. And when she goes into her room, she shuts the door and she reads it. Because she thinks it's a letter for me personally. And um, she has just so won my heart. So her mother told me, she says, you know, Donnie, she has gone out. I still haven't opened the letter. She said she's gone out and she's gotten, she's recycled all over the, the neighborhood. And she, she makes these pencils and she colors them. She sells them for a dollar a piece. And what little allowance we give her and what she's raised, it's in that envelope. So I went back to my room and I opened it. And this is what she wrote. I want to make another donation to your ministry, which I believe in with all my heart. I will continue to support your ministry because I see the impact it makes in kids' lives. I love hearing the stories of the kids and the schools who have given their hearts to the Lord. I pray for Radical Reality Ministry to be able to reach many more kids. My next goal is to bring you to my school and community soon. $100 equals 100 souls. Now, trust me, this is no laughing matter. Love, Macy. I, I told her, because her mother said, Donnie, there's no way that I can't tell her that she can't sell enough pencils to bring your team to feed you guys, Darwin, Terry, you, Dean, hotels. She goes, I can't tell her selling those pencils for a dollar a piece. I said, don't tell her. I've already set aside $1,500 that we've raised. It's now right at 2000 and we're going, I can't wait to do every junior high, every high school in her city and walk into her elementary school and see her little face. Because winning souls is no laughing matter. And after camp, we went to a, we stopped at this little pizza parlor and she wanted to get a picture with me. And that's me and Macy this last summer. She's serious about souls. You know, at home, if you go to my weight room, I have pictures of athletes that I've won to the Lord, discipled, and that's kind of my prayer area where I lift weights and I pray for the athletes that God's given me influence. But when you go to my office, if you ever go to my office, there's a wall. And when you walk to the wall, 
It's all pictures. The kids have sent me. And I'll go and I'll just put my hands on the wall. Say, oh God. You know, the greatest thrill I have is when I come here and I can't even get in the service because the young people, and in, in, in some of you are in college now, they, they came back from Eugene, you know, today to see me this morning. They were in the back, you know, and they were like, hey, Donnie, that they would drive. They're in college now. But they heard I was here, so they heard me when they were in high school. And like, like Pastor Stan said, it's true. I mean, Northern California, I, I, there's very few police. If I ever fell into sin, I'd get caught. Because, I, mean, I mean, every place I go is like someone coming, hey, you did my school. Hey, Donnie. I mean, it's crazy. But it's so humbling. Because you realize that, that people know. They know. You can't fake it with young people. They, they know. And they know I can be intense and I, I can be, you know, hard at times, but, but they know. They know that you love them. And, and what I wanted to communicate to you this morning is, is we close out our time. This is bizarre. I was just thinking last night as Stan dropped me off. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the angels greeted him. And they asked, how did it go on earth? The mission is accomplished, Master. How, how, how will men be saved then? Jesus showed him his side, his hands, his feet, his brow. How will men know of your salvation? Jesus said, I've commanded my disciples. What if your disciples fail? And Jesus, in the theater of my mind, said, I have no other plan. Think about it. We talk about having faith in God. What about God's faith in us? That we would be alive for such a time as this. I got to keep doing schools. Because when that kid comes up to me, they say, Donnie, I wish you were my dad. And I say, why? They say, because I don't have a dad. So we reach. We look for ways. God, give us resources. Give us, give us the ability. I told Pastor Stan, and I'll shut up, but last night, I'd, I'd gone through a, a time where uh, a well-known pastor asked me to come and be out of his church, and he said, I could put you in the biggest churches in America because you've been in B ministry too long. I said, pardon me? He said, you've been in B ministry. He said, I can help you be in A ministry in in." You can speak in the biggest churches of America. You'll be out of my church. And so the next week, you know, my feelings were a little hurt. So the next week I went to a little town called Valley Springs. The youth pastor there is a woman. Her name is Leslie. Leslie was saved 
as a teenager in a youth convention I did in Northern California, and, and Leslie's the youth pastor. She brings probably 15, 16, 20 at the most kids to our camp every summer. And at one of those camps, one of those little blue-eyed seventh graders walked up to me and said, would you come to Valley Springs? I said, absolutely. So the week after this man told me that I've been in B ministry, I go to Valley Springs. The church there seats 200. The pastor's been there 28 years. The high school has 500, not 3,000, not 2,500 in the high school. The junior high had, at that time, about 200. So we meet in the morning. Now think about it. Valley Springs, I'm going to speak to every teenager in the city in one day. So that morning we gather and we're getting ready to go and the pastor, we get in a circle and the pastor who's been there 28 years slugging it out says, oh God, to think that Donnie Moore would come to this little spot in the road. And when he said that, I just began to sob. I just began to weep. Here's a man that served God for 28 years. He's thinking, I'm too big of a deal to come to his city. That Donnie Moore would come. I'm nobody. He would think that I, I would come to that little spot in the road. And Anyway, we went and we did the school. That night, 350 teenagers showed up to a church that seats 200. We had to take all the pews out. We set them on the floor. We had an overflow room. We couldn't get them all in the sanctuary. The fire marshal would have shut us down, but they were packed out. and We didn't even have an altar space because they were filled all around us. And when I had them stand at the end, over half the students stood. And I looked at that pastor, and tears are running down his cheeks. I looked at Leslie, and she's sobbing uncontrollably. We left. They started a Bible study on that campus. That campus, to this day, they have 75 kids coming to that Bible club. And I said to God, God, if this is B ministry, count me in. Oh, I will, at 57 years old, stay in B ministry. If reaching out to young people is B ministry. It's, it's the lost. Wherever it is, it's reaching out. If it's through music, Candace, if it's lifting wakes, sometimes it takes a dumbbell to reach a dumbbell. That's how I got saved. I, how are you going to reach your world? I'm done.